Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. One, one pitch. Fastball pulled and Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Now, here's Adam, Scott, Heath, and Chris. Well, let's just take a little peek through the rundown here. We've got awesome rookies, amazing aces, bullpen stuff. We got a whole bunch of rankings to get to. We got Dylan Covey. Apparently, we're going to talk about Greg Bird, which was not my idea. I swear it. Weird. Weird. I swear. Uh, we have got one heck of a show for you today, so make sure you stay tuned for the entire thing. Because you know who's going to make an appearance at the end of the show, guys? You don't Who? know? Play the music, please. The fantasy yes! regular. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you'd like that. Uh, so here's what's gonna happen. Since I don't really know where to start, like I also have this, spe- this uh, segment about specialists, steel specialists, and whether or not we should roster them, because they are not good at anything else. Um, <laughs> I don't know where to start, so I'm gonna let you start. But actually, that's a lie. I'm actually going to start with something that I never thought I was gonna start with. I want to talk about a middle reliever who's what? Fi- who's five percent owned. What? Do you know who I'm talking about? He has not given up a run. He has 21 strikeouts to no walks, two hits in 10 and oh, two thirds. Oh, I think I know. I think I know. It's Justin Miller, right? Justin Miller for the Nationals is 5% owned, and he right now is kind of like the best reliever in baseball in 10 and two thirds <laughs> for what that's worth. Amazing. It, it has been amazing. It, um, it's because it, he's, he's 31 years old. He's been in the majors before. And nobody wanted much of anything to do with them. And now, 17 strikeouts, one hit, no walks, and nine innings. Oh no, you're and, so you're behind. You're behind today. <laughs> oh yeah, you know, that's true. Right. Baseball Reference isn't updated yet. It's true. No walks, 21 strikeouts, and 10 and two thirds. Only two hits allowed for Justin Miller. Five. Oh, he gave up oh. another hit. He ruined it. He did. Yeah, and and he look. He's he's a middle reliever. He's got four wins. He's four and zero. Oh. So yeah. I think we all know what to do. If you need help with ratios. Keep an eye on Justin Miller. Now we can move right. on to uh, some juicier stuff. Scott White, who do you want to lead the show with? I want to lead the show with Dylan Covey. Yeah. I think. Woo. Yeah. Let's do it. I Let's picked talk him up Dylan in two Kobe. leagues. Did you? I did. And he's up to 32% ownership, which uh, frankly surprises me given his the fact he's Dylan Covey and we've always – like the the instances when he's pitched in the patch we've passed, we've just completely ignored him. But obviously off to a good start. Um ERA of two twenty nine. It's won three games for the White Sox in what, five starts I think it is? Uh thirty five and a third inning, so yeah, probably. Six starts. And like I don't think I don't think it's the total fluke because Dylan Covey has done one thing this year better than any pitcher in baseball. And that's get ground balls. He has the highest ground ball rate, at least if he had the innings to qualify. There may be some other non-qualifier who has a higher rate, but I doubt it. Kobe's number one on that list. I just think, like, he's, he's like, he's so bad at, and I know the strikeout rate actually looks decent, but the swinging strike rate is so low, like, that doesn't look like it's going to be part of his skill set. And I feel like, I feel like it's a very similar profile to Clayton Richard, who can be a useful streaming option, but isn't some kind of fantasy mainstay. So I'm not rushing to add Kobe anywhere. 
but I'm not like totally dismissing him either. Heath, where are you on Dylan Covey? As Scott said, he's 32% owned. He gave up two runs on seven on ten hits. They were all singles against Cleveland over seven innings yesterday, and three and one with a 2.29 ERA. Dylan Covey, befuddled is where I am. I I said yesterday on the Sportsline DFS podcast that he was a bad pitcher. That after this start doesn't look very smart, and after his 35 innings this year doesn't look very smart. I really wish right now that we had a little more access to advanced data from the minor leagues. I'd just like to know if there's anything he's doing different. There is. He's, there is. He, there, there is. Yeah. What, what is it? Well, this is what I heard, overheard on the broadcast last night. Outstanding movement on his fastball, changing speeds, working faster, and a lot more confident. Dylan Covey was nibbling last year, but now he wants to challenge hitters. I watched a pretty good chunk of it. I picked him up because he's got two starts next week. One of them is at right. Cleveland. He's already faced Cleveland twice, uh, and he just did well against them. He did well against Boston without Mookie Betts, but the start before. He did well against Milwaukee the start before that, so he's hot right now. So it's two starts next week, both points leagues. That's where I'm looking to add him because, yeah, I don't know about the strikeouts. I don't know about the whip, but if I just want some innings and maybe a quality start or something like that, I think that's where you're looking at Kobe. He's just a different pitcher because I think his mindset is different. And, um, yeah, that, that's a nice sinker he's got. He's got some really good movement on that as evidenced by all the ground balls. So that, that was, that was what I heard on the broadcast, Heath. And I, like, I'm not going crazy picking up Kobe, but, uh, two points leagues. I, I plan on starting him next week, even with Cleveland on the schedule. Well, my standout wasn't actually necessarily a standout last night, but was a standout because of something that I noticed for next week. And he did pitch last night and it's somebody I'd rather start than Dylan Kobe. I know who it is. Andrew Suarez. It's Andrew Suarez. I have a segment here called "Look at Those Matchups." Yes, Miami Andrew, Sandy and, and he was he was not bad last night. Five innings, gave up two runs, struck out three. It's pretty Andrew Suarez type outing. He's he's had a few more strikeouts than that. He's got a decent. He has decent peripherals. His FIPS three eight five. His ERA is pretty inflated. Next week he has two home starts against the Marlins and the Padres. Mm-hmm. Pretty good. And Andrew Suarez is the two-start pitcher that I want to pick up. <laughs> well, Yalisha Seen is on that list as well. Um, I saw I put in a claim for him. I saw someone else picked him up. So yeah, it's it. I don't know if it's going to be such an, another terrible week of streaming two-star pitchers. But today it's, is yeah. Go ahead. You just change the words around. It's a week of streaming terrible two-star pitchers. <laughs> you know, think of the funny thing about Suarez is I thought he would have a good start against the, the Marlins because it was a homecoming game, and he's not that bad, you know. Um, five innings, two runs, three strikeouts at Miami, and he actually said he couldn't really grip the ball that well because it was so humid in Miami. It's like, come on, man, this is where you're from. It's a Wait, isn't it game. air conditioned in that? Stadium? I don't know. They let the roof open, maybe in June. I hope not. <laughs> That's what he said. You're the problem with Marlins Park, Scott. No, <laughs> no, you didn't. You didn't go to a game down here before there was a roof heat. I've sat at plenty of games in 90 degree weather with my shirt it's, off it's in the outfield the bleachers. It's less the heat than the humidity. We have plenty of humidity in Kansas City. No, <laughs> uh, no. You know, no. <laughs> we, we've trademarked that in South Florida. Um, all right, but it is a ranking show. So Heath and Scott are going to debate some pitcher rankings. The people want to know why Scott has Gene Segura so low. In his second Ooh. base rankings, or shortstop rankings, rather. Yeah, uh, only shortstop. That's where he's eligible. Eighth, uh, behind Javier Baez. The people want to know 
Scott White behind Javier Baez. I know, right? It's just, it's just wild. Wait a second, it wasn't he. I thought he was. I thought Javier Baez had outscored him. Um, I guess until very recently. Is that, I don't know if he had, but is that the only basis for your rankings? No, but I mean, Gene Segura has like a 400 Babbitt. I know. Like he's he's performing over his head, not to an insane degree, but like he's not he's not this good. All right, here are three ranking segments. Let's have fun with it. Rank these rookies. Double Dong, Wong, Juan Soto, the youngest player to hit two home runs in a game since Andrew Jones. Juan Soto, Ronald Acuna, Glaber Torres, Mike Soroka, and Willie Adamas. So let me read it again. Soto, Acuna, Torres, Soroka, Adamas. Rank them. Well, there are different tiers here, and there are two in the top tier. Uh, I just yesterday moved Juan Soto one spot ahead of Ronald Acuna. So I'll take Soto and then Acuna and then a drop. And then probably Soroka, then Torres, and then a big drop, and then Adames. Ooh, okay, so Soto, Acuna, Soroka, Torres, Adames for Heath. Scott? That's interesting because I would have – I might actually have, I mean, it's, Taurus would be in the top group for me. He would be ahead of the drop. Um, especially since he's the shortstop eligible one. Well, he's, uh, Adamas is too, but obviously Torres has done a lot more to this point. I could see Soto ahead of Acuna now. I think that's fair. Uh, I think I still have him three spots behind Acuna, but you know, it's not a gap to quibble over. And uh, he's obviously done some great things. One of those home runs yesterday was a cheapie, but nonetheless, more walks than strikeouts and uh, great power. So, yeah, I'll, I'm fine with that. Soto, Acuna still edges out Torres for me, and then Soroka and Adames. Okay, so what was your yours was? Soto, Acuna, Torres, Soroka, Adames. Yeah, Heath, so I'm a little surprised you have Soroka ahead of Torres. I just, again, it comes back to the number nine hitter, and I don't know. Shortstop isn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. So I don't know that I can see getting Torres into my top eight shortstops. He's, so he's a low, low starter. And Soroka had an outstanding start yesterday. I'm more excited about a number four starting pitcher than I am a number nine or ten shortstop. Glaber Torres. Uh, Glaber, Glaber Torres, um, is since being called up number eight, second, he's actually better at second base than shortstop because shortstop's been better than second base. He's the number eight second baseman in points, number four in Roto, number 11 shortstop in points, number seven in Roto, and he doesn't have much to fall back on aside from the home runs because he, he hasn't really stolen, he's got two steals, he's got pretty bad plate discipline, he has only five doubles, but 12 home runs and a 296 batting average for Glaber Torres. Uh, would you guys rather have Glaber Torres or Javi Baez? I'd rather have Baez, but like they're both must start in my eyes. I have and, Torres and one I, spot ahead of Baez. Say that about Soroka. Yeah, I'm wondering if I should make some offers for Soroka. Uh, try to, I don't know. People, are, I, I, what do you guys think of Soroka? I'm not sure I buy him as a must start guy. I'm not sure what to think of Soroka yet. <laughs> yeah. I, Part of me, part of me thinks developmentally, um, 
Like he's going to be, he's going to be the best pitcher that comes out of this Braves rebuild. But it's, he's kind of having to thread the needle with that because he's not, he doesn't have the raw bat missing ability of some of the others. Like I think he profiles as a Zach Greinke type and you just don't see a lot of that phenotype in today's game. So, I mean, yeah, it was a good start yesterday. Obviously one hit in six and a third innings. There's nothing to complain about there, but it was only five swinging strikes. He threw 74 pitches in six and a third innings. Wow, that's great efficiency. But I, I just like it's. There's not a lot of pitchers you see succeed like that in the majors today. I think it's possible. Like he could just be this amazing strike thrower, and maybe eventually he takes an Aaron Nola type turn where he goes from being just a guy who gets a lot of strikes to becoming a guy who gets a lot of swings and misses. But it's Again, you don't see a lot of that, so it's hard to, yeah, it's hard to just trust in that forecast. Right, I'm feeling the same way. How about you, Heath? About Soroka? Yeah, I think there's not. I don't have a lot to quibble with over what Scott said. I do think like he's not a terrible bat misser. He's got an 11 percent swinging strike rate so far this year. He did not get a ton of strikeouts in Double A in 2017. He didn't get a lot in 2016 in High A, but. I think it's probably like we see hitters and we've kind of accepted now that a lot of hitters will come up and have more home runs than they did in the minor leagues. I don't know that we should rule out that happening with pitchers and strikeouts as well with this current environment. Yeah. I mean, one thing to consider too is he's 20. So like, obviously he's not his best, the best he's going to be physically, but it's, it's, you know, if we're just talking about a fantasy context, we're just talking about this year. You know, I don't know that he's going to become that. No. Or you continue to be like if he just continues to do what he's doing. Then that would be a that would certainly be a worthy option in fantasy. Sixty two percent owned Mike Soroka. At the very least we could say he's under owned, you know. Yeah, that's yes. I mean, yeah, I, I was saying I guess it was just yesterday when he was coming off the DL that Pick him up. He needs to be picked up probably most anywhere he's available. And he faced and a team. That sounds like a lot of leads. Yeah, Soroka faced a team in the Mets who have scored 10 runs in their last 87 innings. So um, f- just quick three-word answer, guys. Rank these three in dynasty leagues. Soto, Acuna, Torres. You did. Hmm. I Yeah, I guess so. Like it's it's hard for me to already say Acuna is not first on that list, um, and because part of my I know no, three word answer. Three. Nope, we're moving on. Rank yeah. these aces. We're doing more rankings now. Rank these aces. By the way, we'll hear some rankings, risers and fallers for Scott and Heath in a little bit. There were some big time aces out yesterday. Jacob Degrom, he is four and two despite having a one fifty five ERA and a one hundred one WHIP. DeGrom, Zach Greinke struggled yesterday. Zach Greinke did not get a strike call on a two-strike pitch. And it was a strike in the second inning. And everything spiraled after that. He gave him four runs in the inning. It was very strange. Chris Sale, Jose Barrios, Trevor Bauer, and Garrett Cole. So rank those six aces. They are DeGrom, Greinke, Sale, Barrios, Bauer, and Cole. Heath, you can start. I'll go Sale, DeGrom, Greinke. No, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Sale, Cole, DeGrom, Grinky, Barrios, Bauer. I had overlooked Cole there too. The okay. only change I'd make is I'd take Bauer over Barrios, but they're 
in the same range of five pitchers. No. Like they're five pitcher stretch in my ranking. Why not put Bauer ahead of Granky at this point? He's got. I have he's to correct myself. Fourth. I did move Bauer ahead of Barrios yesterday, so I'll. Our, this is really boring, but I think we have the exact same. It's rankings. not boring. Sale, Cole, Degrom, Granky, Bauer, Barrios. Uh, it's interesting. Degrom so good, but third on this list, which is, I mean, understandable behind Sale and Cole. But Bauer, look, I I take Bauer over Carlos Carrasco. I said at the end of yesterday's show, I stick yeah, by. I want to do that. Why? He's so and good. I have Granky ahead of Carrasco too. Bauer's so good. And oh my gosh. And I'm sure this is the same for, hold on, let me just make this one last point. I'm sure this is the same for Carrasco. I looked at the probable schedule rest of season for Trevor Bauer because he's had a pretty easy schedule. And that's mostly because the Tigers, White Sox, and Twins stink. Now the Twins could turn things around. Oh, and the Royals. Like, pitching in the AL Central is such an awesome thing. So uh that's something to keep in mind for Bauer. All right, why not Bauer over Carlos Carrasco? I think Bauer has the fourth or fifth most strikeouts in baseball right now. Hey, I mean, you're by saying Bauer's so good, you're making it sound like by ranking him behind those guys, I don't think he's so good, which I don't think is totally fair. Those are really good pitchers. Uh, that's um, fine. Just just Carrasco though. Why why Carrasco over Bauer? I mean, Carrasco's been really good too, and he's been really good for. What the last five years? Okay, Heath, you agree? So I don't like. I, I th- we like we start off with this expectation for the season that Carlos Carrasco is a borderline ace, and Trevor Bauer is a number three or number four starter, and Bauer has jumped way up in the rankings from there. He's my top twenty now, but Carrasco hasn't really done anything for me to lower him. So right. it's just it's just that I think track record's still factoring into it. This. I think Trevor Bauer is just this good now, but he's still got a pretty considerable track record of not being. Okay. All right, then. Let's uh rank these relief pitchers. Blake Parker pitched in the seventh and eighth innings yesterday and gave up a home run. Corey Knable got a save, and he has now five saves since May 21st. Josh Hader has no saves since May 11th. Uh, FYI, Hader pitched an inning in the eighth uh, so Parker, Knable, Felipe Vasquez, who's been struggling, Mark Melanson, Hunter Strickland, two Giants, and Soria. Joaquin Soria has six saves in his last eight or nine days. Parker, Knable, Felipe Vasquez, Melanson, Strickland, Soria. How do you rank them? You know, it's really interesting what's happened at relief pitcher this year because there have been so many with – a very tenuous grip on the role. And like I th- I feel like two thirds of all closers have a tenuous grip on the role right now. So for me it's Knebel and um and then kind of a big drop to the rest of them because Knebel's inside that group. All these others are outside of that. But I do think Vasquez has a little more job security than Parker, even though he's obviously been worse this year. So I'll rank them that way. Knebel, Vasquez, Parker, followed by Strickland. And I'm going to put Melanson ahead of Soria just because I, I think I, I, don't, I don't trust the – I don't trust uh, Rich Rodriguez. Uh, what's Renteria. Rick, Rick Renteria to stick with any one guy, and the White Sox aren't going to win a lot of games anyway. Okay. So you go Knebel, uh Vasquez, Vasquez Parker, Parker, Strickland. Melanson, Melanson and then Soria. Yeah. Heath? 
I'm just checking. Sorry, I got another save last night, right? He did. Yes. Now, Nate, so Nate Jones is on the six, DL, by the way. Sorry has six saves in the last nine days. Okay. And he I hasn't just, given I up just, a run. I just in, said like, that. I am regulating. You know what, Heath? Wait, I got to get the music. <laughs> Go ahead. Forget it. I already blew my chance. I, you know, you regulate. give me these eight names to rank at reliever, and so I'm trying to put that together in my head while you guys are talking and come up with interesting things to say about the guys that I'm going to be different about. I understand. And you expect me to be listening to you? Not really. Go ahead. <laughs> okay, so I agree. Knable is uh, he's the only one of these guys in my top 12 relievers. I've got him 12th. There's a little bit of a drop to Vasquez, a little bit of a drop to Hunter Strickland. I'll take Parker next, then Soria, and then in a distant last, Melanson. I think Strickland's going to hold on to this job. Yeah, we might be not too far away from Strickland having a grasp on that job, uh, but but it's certainly not a certainty right now. Yeah, I mean, his his strikeout and walk rates aren't really what you want from a closer. So but I'm Melanson's really never have been in, ever. Well, but Melanson's also been consistently a sub-2 ERA guy. And the walk rate's always been good for Melanson. He's always been a really good control pitcher. All right, well, job security is very important for closers, and finding the right people for jobs is very important for you listeners out there. So if you are hiring, it is hard to find qualified candidates. It, it, it takes a long time, and there are just too many applicants. You know, when you send out jobs, I'm sure you get a lot of qualified applicants, but ZipRecruiter is going to help you find the best ones. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash strike. ZipRecruiter.com slash strike. That is the way to try ZipRecruiter for free. So it sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards. But ZipRecruiter does not stop there. ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invite them to apply to your job. So it's just, it's very, uh, you know, it's, it's very effective and it's very efficient because 80% of employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. Again, you don't have to do that much work. You just give it to ZipRecruiter, and ZipRecruiter goes out and finds the best people for you. And that's why ZipRecruiter is the highest-rated hiring site in America. If you want to try it for free, you can do it exclusively right here at ZipRecruiter.com slash strike. ZipRecruiter.com slash S-T-R-I-K-E. One more time, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash strike. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. News and notes. Noah Syndergaard is not ready to return from his finger injury. Garrett Richards left with a hamstring injury, pitched two innings. Did just mention Nate Jones is on the DL. Texas moved Matt Moore to the bullpen, and Johander Mendez will start on Friday, and I, I don't think we have any interest there. He's really bad. His numbers are quite bad. Uh, Zach Cozart left with a shoulder injury, so David Fletcher, who went three for four with a triple and two RBIs yesterday at Seattle. David Fletcher maybe gets more playing time. Rugnet Odor has four walks in his last five games. That gives him 12 in 42 games, and that is like Joey Votto-like for Rugnet Odor. So that's cool. Now get some hits. Uh, Francisco Cervelli returned. Brandon Belt could be back on Monday. Yasmani Grandal was robbed of a home run. Uh, Kevin Brown apprehended male thieves. Did you read that story? No. Uh, no. So Kevin Brown, the old like Padres, Marlins... Yankees, right? Pitcher. Dodgers. Rangers. Was he on all? I was, he was on the Marlins and the Padres, right? It's interesting that you said Padres first, because I think he was with them for one year. Oh, okay. But it was during the prime of his career. It was a really good year. Yeah, apparently he like apprehended these male, these people, these kids who were stealing mail. And what I read in the ESPN article was that he did it, at, he 
held them up at gunpoint to make sure that before the cops got there. How is that legal? What do you mean? What do you, you mean, how you is that legal? Uh, you can't just put a gun at, at people. He's not a cop. If somebody's on your property, you can. I, I don't think he was I, – I don't know if it was on his property. Okay, that's actually probably something I should investigate. <laughs> uh, and, you know, we've been getting a lot of questions about Freddy Peralta. Do we need to stash Freddy Peralta? I, I, I'm, he, he's a good stash candidate. He leads the minors in strikeouts. I just don't know when he gets to start again. Okay. Brown hit, yeah. Brown hit in a neighbor's yard and waited for the alleged thieves to swipe some mail. When they tried, Brown caught them, holding them at gunpoint until police arrived. No, you cannot do that. You cannot yeah, you can. do that. He should have been arrested. It wasn't even in his yard. Well, they were in his yard. No, they he weren't. Was hiding out it was in a, a different na- place. Oh, he maybe, was hiding in maybe. the neighbor's yard. When they came on his property, he then surprised well, them. That's unclear. That's unclear. It's inferred. Lineup stuff. Max Muncy sat against a lefty, which has not been the norm. I think it was just a day off, and uh, he's been amazing against lefties. Joe Madden is, uh, like, criminally insane. He used two, <laughs> but I mean that in a good way. He's like, it's pretty cool. He used two relievers in left field. So I believe it was Steve Ciszek and Brian Dunsing. Like, yes. Right? Yeah, he, he, uh, he would, to maximize handedness and not have to burn one of the relievers completely, he could swap back and forth. Yeah, that's what he did. And, I mean, obviously you're taking a risk that the ball isn't hit to left field or that it's a very routine fly if it is. But, it's, uh, it's definitely, uh, Definitely egregious. Egregious that, use of the rules. I think, though, that is something that happened more. Like, I remember that happening in the 80s. Yeah, I, maybe. I think that was something teams used to do a little bit more, and then everybody stopped doing it. Okay. Uh, I don't well, even know what egregious use of the rules is. That was a bad wording. I struggled <laughs> to think of a good one. Well, I said I'm still stuck like, on this Kevin Brown thing, because I'm wondering, like, because I've never really thought about the legality of holding. Certainly, Adam, if if you if you thought these criminals like threatened his safety in some way, they're stealing mail. They if were stealing. Stealing. I understand property. that, but like that 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 seems like a, a tricky line legally. Oh, I felt threatened by them, so I was allowed think, to hold them. Think how much Kevin years. Brown's identity is probably worth. If you could steal his identity, I, I think worth. the really the key is whose yard he was in when he held them up at gunpoint. Also, he played for the Orioles as well. We missed that. Okay, well, what if? What if it's a public place and these people no. have they have a weapon? They've been threatening people. Like, let's is it let's okay think of this way: up at gunpoint, then if you're on public street, no. someone's stealing your car. Can you do you have to let them drive off with a car, or can you hold them at gunpoint? I don't know. Actually, it's a good question. I believe you can. I don't know about that. I don't think that <laughs> you're not forced to let someone have your car when you have the ability to stop them. Uh, okay, I'm not really a big fan of vigilantes. Chris Bryant sat. <laughs> John Jay's been leading off for Arizona if you're in a deep league. Greg Bird, all right, here we go. Greg Bird, he batted seventh yesterday, uh, which I wasn't, I had a feeling they were going to move him down in the order, and I don't like that, but he homered and he doubled. And, and, oh, go ahead, Heath. What do you want to say about Greg Bird? Well, this is a guy who was a better prospect than Aaron Judge or Gary Sanchez. Well, why do you scoff at that? Because if you say, you know, for you it would be something, well, pedigree. When I say it, it's a big joke to everybody. 
I can't stop laughing. I don't think that's necessarily true, though. Well, that's I know what the Brian Yankees Cashman said. They loved so. Greg Bird, but I don't think he was ever considered a top 100 prospect of those others two to work. Well, okay. So it wasn't even factually true. That's what they said. I care more about what, how the Yankees evaluate their own players rather than how, like, Baseball America does. So anyway, if you <laughs> take away the first month of last year, and, and I wish Chris were on the show. Wait, before you laugh, Greg Bird, listen, listen. I have to rewind, like, no, 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 no sh- just, Listen, Greg Bird came up in 2015. He had about an 871 OPS. He hurt, he got hurt, he missed all of 2016. He was the star of spring training in 2017. And with about two days left before the season started, the last couple of days of spring training, he fouled the ball off his ankle. He played like 20 games or something like that, and he was terrible. And he went on the DL, and eventually he needed ankle surgery. He came back, and I think he had an 891 OPS. So we are now talking about a guy who, if you remove the 20 games in which he played clearly hurt, required surgery, had about an 880 OPS. If you saw the home run he hit yesterday, you would know why I like Greg Bird. Because he's a lefty in Yankee Stadium, and he hit a ball into the right field seats about five rows deep. That probably wasn't a home run in most other parks. So I'm applying the Didi Gregorius logic. This was a guy who they wanted to bat third and was batting third in their order until yesterday when they moved him down to seventh. I really don't feel like I need to justify why I like Greg Bird. I think I just laid it out very, very clearly with excellent, excellent points. And I don't want to be questioned on it anymore because it's annoying. (laughs) And Chris is, like, so wrong about looking at his career OPS because it is so heavily influenced by when he was playing through an ankle injury that required surgery. Period. End. I think the problem would be... it's, it will be easier to make that argument once he has like an 880 OPS this year. Okay, but, but he right, had it twice. Right now his OPS this year is lower than his career OPS. So the career yeah. OPS argument holds a little more weight. No, it I, doesn't I because the career I OPS is if you just skewed. Look, if you, if you remove the stint last year when he was dealing with the injury, the numbers look a lot better and that's probably the fairest way to assess it, but it's still a very small sample. You yeah, know? I know, I know. So like he's, he's so unproven and Every time he gets an extended look, he seems to uh, to let us down. Like, no. like he only has one walk so far, and that's supposed to be a big part of his game. Yeah, but that's not. I don't think that's true. Every time he gets an extended look, this is the third time he's got an extended look, and twice he was good. So far, he's struggling. Yeah, I mean, look, I I have him in um, one of my dynasty leagues, and I consider him a big part of my team's future. But at the same time, I'm also Concerned that he's never going to, uh, that he's going to let me down over the long haul and I have this investment that's wasted. So he's, he's definitely like, I, I think there, particularly in that lineup, in that stadium, I agree there is a ton of upside, but right. he's 25 and keeps missing time with injuries. And I, I think eventually the opportunity is going to pass him by if he doesn't get it into gear here soon. All right, some more quick lineup notes. Gary Sanchez sat again. They're giving him an extended rest. He'll be back today. Dansby Swanson has batted second in six straight games for the uh, for the Braves. Dansby Swanson. Max Stassi has started three of five games since Brian McCann returned. Tom Murphy started again for Colorado. Who would you rather have, Max Stassi or Tom Murphy? Stassi, but that that was definitely an eye-opener that uh, Murphy was doing that twice in a row. Because, one, you just figure, okay, Ionetta needs a day off. But, two... There Maybe was actually, the Rockies are thinking transition here. Yeah, I think I need to move Murphy up because there, I actually read an article yesterday where they were talking about the benefit of having Chris Iannetta's bat on the bench and being able to bring him against a lefty reliever. Mm-hmm. I think they may be making a transition here. 
All right, and uh, Derek Dietrich has sat three of the last four games, all of them against left-handed starting pitchers. Derek Dietrich, Dietrich. sitting against lefties. And yeah, Adam, I was in my top ten sleeper hitters for this week. Uh, yeah, I know, weird. And Great Adam choice. Eaton was removed for a pinch runner, so there's, st- you know, he's still not, uh, still not all the way back, but uh, he has been starting and playing right field with, with Bryce Harper in center field, and that's with the possibility of them using a DH that they've been using uh, Daniel Murphy for. So Eaton had yeah. three hits yesterday. You know what would be a cowardly move if once they're out of the the AL park and they don't have DH anymore, they put Murphy back on the DL. He can't really run. I mean, he looks like Miguel Cabrera out there. It's hopefully yeah. it gets better, like, but he's not. But I, part of me wonders if they've been planning, like if that was the whole plan. Let's just get him in for the DH, and then we'll give him ten more days to keep rehabilitating. Well, I do want to get into the rankings, risers, and fallers. I have one more segment before we do that. It is potentially overowned hitters and overowned pitchers. So let's talk about that. Let's also talk about. The draft app. Heath, I know you're a big DFS guy, but you gotta love draft because it's different, you know? You get to do snake drafts. That's fun. I do. I love draft. I, the only thing that I don't like about draft is that I can never get into the contest that you post. <laughs> yes, because that's easy, buddy. Uh, I have been posting contests. If you follow me, Big Kane 2, or if you sign up and use the promo code FB today when you make your first deposit, you can win my money, and you can win a lot of money on the Draft app. Uh, you can play for cold, hard cash and get paid out the next day. The draft started just one buck, so there's a draft out there for everyone, and it's just really fun. It's kind of like you don't have to pay too much attention to it. The drafts last for just one night. Once you're done, no trades, no waiver wire. Just set it and forget it. And as I've told you, I think hitting really wins on the Draft app, so I wouldn't prioritize pitching all that much. Take, make sure you take a look at the scoring. It's going to reward guys that get on base, uh, as as the other sites do, but maybe a little bit more so in draft. But you take a look for yourselves, and don't listen to me because I, you know, I always lose. But I love it. It's so much fun. I just I love doing drafts. That's why we play fantasy baseball. So do more of it. Use the draft app and use the code FB today. The code again is FB today. I will be back. I will set up a challenge today and challenge the listeners for tonight's slate. And uh, I'm feeling pretty good about it. Go to draft.com or download the draft app and use the code. FB today. I'm going to post three drafts today. Oh, wow. Three drafts, CBS Heath. So right. you'll have to follow me first, and then I will send the invitations out. And, uh, yeah, we'll see if they can win my money. Beautiful. Are these hitters over-owned? Two of them I feel pretty comfortable that they are. One of them I'm not so sure. Which one's which? Rafael Devers, 91% owned. Is he over-owned? Yeah. I don't think so. He's not in my top 20 third baseman anymore. Ooh, Devers. So Heath, you think he's going to turn it around? I think he, I think he's going to turn it around, and I think that the upside, if he does turn it around, is too high to let him go. Would you rather have Beltre or Devers? Devers. I think I have, uh, it's close. They're both right around that 20 spot for me. Uh, I'd probably take Beltre in points leagues because of the awesome plate. Would you rather have Jamer Candelario or Devers? Candelario is one I have ahead of both of them, both Belcher and Devers. Yeah, I would definitely rather have Candelario if I needed to start somebody right now. As a bench stash, I think I'd rather have Devers. Jake Lamb is 82% owned. Is he over-owned? Probably. Oh, yeah. He, Probably. He sits uh, against he been, Has he been sitting against lefties since coming back? Yep. Yeah. Yes, he has. Yep. 
Jake Lamb overowned, 82%. Christian Villanueva, 61% owned. That seems okay. I mean, he's still one of the better home run sources at the position, particularly once you get outside of the, you know, really high end types. I don't think he offers much beyond that. And ideally you'd play matchups with him in starting him in lefty heavy weeks or obviously in daily leagues when they're facing a left handed pitcher. Cause that's what he does most of his damage against. But the powers, I think the power is pretty legit. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm really starting to uh, question. His playing time has not been consistent. I don't think you want to start him in a week where he only has one lefty. And the plate discipline's awful. I uh, I think he's overrunned. You know what? I, I am seeing now how much Spangenberg's been cutting into his playing time recently, and he's obviously been struggling being a waiver. Um, Overowned, 61. I, I mean, it's just 61% is not very high. All right, let's That's move on. Let's move on. Yeah. Let's wrap it up. Overowned yeah. pitchers. Are these guys overowned? Sonny Gray, 90% owned. Oh, definitely. Yep. Definitely. He, he, I realize he had a good stretch, but I don't feel like the pitching was really that good during that stretch. Well, it what's his matchup bad. next week? Two starts on the road at Washington and at Tampa Bay. He's not overrun. You keep him for next week? Sonny no, Gray? I mean he's usable during that week, but ninety percent owned is so high. Yeah. Like sixty like that's what with this exercise, that's what bothers me because it sounds like it sounds like I just said Christian Dana Wave is better than Rafael Devers, but it was Relative to ownership. Of course. No, and this I, is the same thing with Sonny Gray. Like 90% owned is if, like really high-end pitchers. Right. Yeah, he's so bad at home. 722 ERA at home. Uh How about Luke Weaver? 86% owned. He's at Philadelphia and at Milwaukee next week. Is Luke Weaver over-owned? What was the percentage? 86%. Maybe a little. Maybe closer to 80 is what he should be. All right. And Heath, Nick Pavetta is 86% owned as well. Is Nick Pavetta over-owned? He's been struggling lately. I really don't think so. I still have, and I I may have to move him down a little bit after last night's start because it's another bad start in a row. But even after just a pretty bad stretch, he still has a 4-2-5 ERA with a 3-1-1 FIP. He's striking out 10 per 9. The control's not been an issue. He's kind of run into a stretch of bad luck. He's doing a good job of, for the most part, generating very, very little hard contact against him. I think Pavetta is going to be a good starting pitcher and startable most weeks moving forward. Yeah, and Scott, you're a lot lower on Pavetta because this is one of the rankings disputes we were going to have. Uh, Scott has Pavetta 60th and Heath has Pavetta 29th. So do you, Scott, do you think Pavetta's 86% ownership is too high? I'd put him... Probably in about the same category as Luke Weaver, where I doubt he's available in any of my leagues. But I don't think, I don't think he's like ascended to high end either. Um, yeah, I, I don't, I, like a good strikeout rate, but obviously some questions beyond that. All right. So with that said, let's take a look at who's moving up and down in the rankings. Some rankings risers. First, we'll go to Scott. Scott, give me three rankings risers, please. Okay, three rankings risers. I have Eduardo Escobar, who's another player who I moved ahead of that. Rafael Devers, uh, Adrian Beltre group. And that's probably not even the position where you could use him most. He's also shortstop eligible. 
I also have Ross Stripling, who we've talked about a lot, and Matt Kemp, who I finally need to start giving some credit and stop having sour grapes about, since he was obviously somebody the Braves wanted off their roster this offseason. All right, so we'll go one by one. Eduardo Escobar, um, where have you – okay, you have him 15th at shortstop? If that's what the rankings say. You still have him behind Jan Hervis Salarte. Yeah. One spot I behind. Do. Okay. I do. Um, at least in points leagues I do. Do I have it that way in Roto too? I will check for you, sir. Salarte's plate discipline obviously is a big advantage in the points format. And I just think Salarte's pretty good. But one of my favorite stats this year is that Escobar is on pace for more than 100 extra brace hits. And at least heading into last night's action, just to put this in perspective, Mike Trout's on pace for 99. So, like, wow. Escobar's been an extra base hit machine that um, is following a big jump in fly ball percentage last year that's only gone further this year. Well, he also has an elite line drive rate this year. So he just, I, I don't know what it is exactly, but at age 29, he has seemed to, he's really figured out this hitting thing. And I think... uh I think deserves to be owned everywhere. And you both have Stripling right around 50th. Scott has Stripling 43rd. Heath has Stripling 48th. Uh, both have Shamanaya 47th. So Stripling just behind Shamanaya. Uh, and I see Scott, you have Ross Stripling one spot ahead of Zach Godley. Mm-hmm. Wow. So you're buying um, it, huh? Yeah, it's it's been basically two months of an elite K per nine, an elite BB per nine, and certainly <laughs> a good home run rate for this environment. And it's not like he gives up a lot, a lot of fly balls, so I think that's fluky or anything. Okay. But I'm not sure what there is to doubt at this point. Ross Stripling. The other riser is Matt Kemp. Let's go to Heath's risers. Heath, who do you got as, as fantasy ri- rankings risers? Well, one of the names I'd sent in was Ross Stripling. Also, John Hicks. With Miguel Cabrera out for the year, Hicks is going to play pretty much every day at first base, I expect. And that's huge with catcher eligibility. I went and looked at what his 150-game pace is since the start of last year. It's essentially Yadi Molina from last year, which is a top-10 catcher, easily. Molina was fourth, I believe, in points and second in Roto last year. He won't have the nine steals that Molina had. But I moved him up to number nine at catcher. And I kind of feel like I might be a little bit low. It's just, it's hard to overstate how much more it matters if you're playing five or six games a week when everybody else in the position is playing four or five. And he's been a pretty good hitter. I also finally moved Scooter Jeanette into my top ten second baseman. He's up at number eight. It's just too hard to doubt. Okay, but but with Hicks, like, you, you, ha- you have to do something right now. You have to move Evan Gaddis ahead of John Hicks. You have to. I have even got us ahead of John Hicks in Roto. Okay, you have to do it in points, too. I'm not sure. He plays every day. He has been playing every day, He will play every day. They don't have enough hitters for him to not play every day. They've got a lot of hitters that are we thought were very good. They are good. Some of them haven't been good. No, and Gaddis is good. Gaddis Gaddis is number one catcher in fantasy. He's number three in points, number one in Roto. Oh, that that was the other rankings related. I was going to make Gary Sanchez my riser up number one in points, but for like the fourth consecutive week, I looked and the gap has just shrunk. (laughs) I think Posey, did Posey pass him last night? He may have. I don't know. But you were right about Evan Gaddis. This was your guy for so long. Why why does this turn into the Evan Gaddis thing? This is a John Hicks thing. Celebrate must own in all formats John Hicks. 
Okay, fine. I'll I'll leave it at that. Scooter Jeanette, your number eight second baseman. Um, okay, yeah. So so it looks like we're buying into Ross Stripling. We're buying into Scooter Jeanette and John Hicks. Just the playing time is going to be huge. Heath, who are your rankings fallers? So flustered. Josh Donaldson is down to my number <laughs> ten third baseman. Ken Giles has fallen to relief pitcher twenty three, and Gregory Polanco outside of my top sixty outfielders. He's sixty second. All right, Josh Donaldson, your number 10 third baseman. Scott, what do you think about that? Uh, I also have a down arrow next to Josh Donaldson. He's nine for me. Uh, it looks like Matt Carpenter is the one who he ranks ahead, at least in points. Like, I doubt he does that in Roto, right? No, I have, uh, I have Donaldson ahead of Carpenter in Roto. Yeah. Yeah, so the guys who are like ahead of Donaldson, uh, you know, okay. Jose Ramirez, Travis Arenado, Shaw. Machado, Brian, Bregman, Rendon, Shaw. J- oh, Justin you know what? Turner? He has Turner ahead of Donaldson too, which I don't. Yeah, but you have, uh, Moustakis ahead of Donaldson. Yes. I mean, it, that's yep. gotta be a little scary for you guys knowing what Donaldson did last year in the second half, right? Ranking is not for the weak, Adam. <laughs> you have to make some scary choices. Yeah, I, I, it, I could totally see Donaldson being a first round caliber hitter the rest of the way. But there have been enough hurdles, uh, particularly after a year where he also had us feeling uneasy for half the year. And he's getting up there in age. So I just feel a lot more confident with like a Shaw or a Moustakis at this point. And guys, guys like Carpenter and Turner, I mean, the biggest thing for me right now is they're healthy. And they have started to show, like, started to show some signs of turning around. I, we've just got nothing from Donaldson. Yeah. Well, Donaldson could be activated today, right? Yeah. He could I, be. I, th- I thought he was going to make a, okay, if not today, very soon he could be back. Yeah. But, but that's what they said about last Friday, too. And it is recurring calf issues for Donaldson. I still yeah. think that if you have a team that you know has no chance to win, Donaldson is a, a guy that has, has the chance to change your team's fortunes. He oh, yeah. yeah. I, I, like, I'm comfortable both moving him down in my rankings, and by the way, Heath and I both still have him in the top ten, so we consider him a starter in any format when he is healthy. And even when he's not healthy, we still think he's top ten. Um, but I'm comfortable both moving him down and calling him a buy low. Yeah. Because I feel like, I feel like there are probably a lot of Donaldson owners out there now who value him as even less than top 10, you know? Yep, yep. And uh, Ken Giles down to number 23 at RP. Gregory Polanco to number 62. I think we've talked a lot about them. So, Scott, give me your three fallers and then pick one that you'd like to expand on. Dallas Keuchel, Luke Weaver, and Ryan Braun are all fallers for me. All right, let's talk Keuchel. I'll, I'll pick for you. Okay, Keuchel. And we, I feel like I brought it up the last couple times he pitched, but his swinging strike rate is his lowest since his rookie season. And if you remember the development of Dallas Keuchel back in his rookie season, we didn't even think he was a good pitcher. Like we didn't know he had the chance to become everything he became. So it's, it's not good. And then also his ground ball rate, while still one of the best in the majors, hasn't been the otherworldly, far and away best in the league mark that we've seen from him during his best season. So, like, the struggles recently, the underlying numbers 
support the struggles. I do think there is still hope for him. I think um, there could be command issues here, location issues here, particularly if you look on the heat maps on like fan graphs, you'll see he is missing just below the strike zone and up in the strike zone in a way like more, more than he did last year. He's in those two areas more and either of those areas is a good thing for him. Uh, but it's been going on long enough now that I can't just say, I, I can't just stick with him as this being this ace caliber pitcher yeah. anymore. I have to move him behind the Bowers, the Snells, the even like even like Mike Clevenger. I think I have him behind now. Yeah, I, I'm actually a little surprised that he's 29th for Scott and 24th for Heath. That Keuchel's not even lower. Um, but uh, still, I moved him behind Michaelis. Still in your who top Himself 30. is an elite ground ball pitcher. Like Michaelis is has been what we think of good Keuchel being. Yeah. Uh, I have him behind Dylan Bundy now with the way Bundy's pitched recently. Okay. All right. And I thought we'd have time for uh, rankings disputes, but we don't. I apologize. So let me skip around and go to, because uh, I want to get to the regulators. Uh, okay. Rotation from yesterday. Who stood out to you? Jamison Tyone with the, working that slider. Seven innings, two runs. Really should have been seven innings, no runs. Because uh, uh, Austin Meadows dropped a fly ball into the first row of the stands for a home run in the first inning. Tyone, Jay Happ. Cole Hamels, Kenta Maeda, Marco Gonzalez. Tyone, J-Hap, Cole Hamels, Maeda, Marco Gonzalez. You know what I think is a pretty interesting question? Who's your favorite in that group? Heath Cummings, Tyone, Hap, Hamels, Maeda, Marco Gonzalez. You know, you started with who stood out to you, and so I went to talk about Marco Gonzalez, and now we may have to accept that he's good, but he's certainly not my favorite, so we won't talk about him. Uh, I, I would say that it's probably Kenta Maeda. And this was not a great start against the Rangers, but for his first start back from the disabled list and he stayed healthy, I think he has the most upside of these guys. He may be back on the 10-day disabled list in another month, but when he's pitching, I have a confidence he'll be good. Scott, who's your favorite from this group? Tyone, Hap, Hamels, Maeda, Marco Gonzalez. So excluding Gonzalez, who I think we would both agree is the low guy, these pitchers range from 41st to 64th in my rankings, which seems like a pretty big range, but I feel like they're all two starts away from completely swapping around. Like, that's just the range of pitchers we're talking about here. Uh, I actually have Cole Hamels ranked the highest, and I have Hap just behind him. They're both right outside my top 40. So Hap has single-digit swinging strikes in six of his... I think seven of his last nine starts now. Yep. So it's something he's now in those starts. He still has a strikeout per inning, but he's right. not getting the swinging strikes like like he was in his first five starts when Hap had a fourteen percent swinging strike rate. Uh, I I thought Ty I'm I'm sort of encouraged by Tyone. Uh, does he have you know c- could he be a second half ace, Jamison Tyone? <sighs> I don't want to attach the ace label to Tyone. Too high. I, I don't. Yeah. I don't think he's shown any reason to believe he can be that. Okay. And I, I believe he could be. He could be, he could be a, like a number three. I think he could be a, a second half top twenty five starter. That's the absolute upside. And Heath, you you were encouraged by this Marco Gonzalez start. It's just another like yes, seven strikeouts, five innings. He gave up three runs. It's going up against a very good team that has absolute lefty mashers on it. Here's the problem with Marco Gonzalez. 
at the Yankees and at the Red Sox next week. <laughs> yeah, you're not starting him. No. After you that, points league, but otherwise, no. After that, you can, you know, be happier. Uh, who are your favorites here from the fringy starting pitchers? Caleb Smith, Yolish Shasin, Mike Montgomery, Matt Boyd, and I'll throw Dylan Covey back in there. Caleb Smith, Yolish Shasin, Mike Montgomery, Matt Boyd, Dylan Covey. Man, and do I hate Matt Boyd. Wait, who do you, you hate who? Sorry, we talked Matt at Boyd. the same time. I, I'm sorry. Matt, Matt Boyd. I just hate yeah. him. No, I, I get it. Matt Boyd has the fifth lowest BABIP and the second lowest home run to fly ball ratio wow. in baseball. Like that, that seems like massive correction is coming. Yeah. One of these days. <laughs> yes. One okay. of these days. Stay yeah. away from Matt Boyd. Uh, Caleb Smith, I think, and ownership percentage reflect this. I think he's far and away the best of this group. I had gotten, I, I got a little concerned when I looked at the game log yesterday because the swinging strikes total start by start. There hasn't been a lot of double digits lately, and that's, you know, that's usually the difference between if the guy's consistently getting double digits of those, he's a good swing and miss pitcher, and if he's not, he's not so much. But it's it's largely because they don't leave him in for many pitches. Yeah, like he is frequently removed sub ninety pitches. His swinging strike, the actual rate, is still very high. Uh, so, I, I mean, that being said, obviously, if he's not getting many pitches, he's not going as deep into the games as he should, and that's not a good thing either. But I still think the potential is there for him to be a pretty regular part of your fantasy staff. Caleb Smith, 71% owned at San Francisco and at Colorado next week. That'll be an interesting one. Uh, and then Yolisha Seen is at Pittsburgh and home against St. Louis, and somehow he is having a nice year with a 332 ERA. Just doesn't really make sense. And, and Shasin's been great at home. He had a 279 ERA at home before six shutout innings against the Cubs yesterday. And this is a guy who was like only good in San Diego last year. So Shasin has had a, a terrible start at San Diego and a good start at Colorado this year. Nothing makes sense for him, but I'm sure he'll be a, an attractive pickup in for a two-start week. Do you feel the same way about Shasin as you do about Boyd, that correction is coming? Yes. Yeah. yeah, it's it's a like I I can't say it with as much conviction because it never came last year, but obviously a different pitching environment this year, and if nothing else, I expect there to be more home runs in his future. What time is it, guys? What time is it? Yeah, what time is it? Regular fantasy regulator time. You're damn right it is, guy. Yeah. Right? All right, we got two issues to regulate. I'm going to try to stay away from the trade veto emails unless they're very interesting. Um, but you know how we feel about vetoes. All right, let's start with Matt from Ottawa. Matt from Ottawa is the commissioner of an ale-only head-to-head league. Not everyone in the league follows baseball extensively. Some of the owners who drafted guys who are in danger of being traded at the deadline, like Machado and maybe Donaldson, are just realizing now that they could lose them in the next few weeks if they go to an NL team. The owners are a bit upset and are demanding that they receive compensation of some sort in the event (laughs) that they lose their best players. I passed on Machado in the draft because I knew that it was possible that he might not be in the AL all season. What is the best way to be fair about this problem? Should I compensate or should I just tell them that they should have known the risk when they drafted a high-end player in their contract year? Uh, I would definitely lean toward the latter. Like, I, I don't think you should be penalized for paying more attention. That seems wrong. I, what maybe should have happened, and obviously this is a hindsight 2020 situation, is to make it clear 
going into the draft, like abundantly clear, but reminders everywhere that this is a possibility. And then like, if they're not willing to research it to find out who's at risk of that, then that's on them. I, uh, yeah. Two I, weeks. I, I, Go ahead, Scott. Sorry. I don't, I just don't believe in compensation in these situations. No, it's, um, I, I wouldn't mind if there was a league at the beginning of the year had a rule about compensation, but now, now, the, this email after two sentences, you knew there was going to be a huge problem. I'm the commissioner of an ale only league. <laughs> yeah. Not everyone in the league <laughs> follows baseball extensively. Right. If you do not follow baseball very closely, you, like, the, the solution to this problem is playing a mixed league next year. Right. Yeah, why would, why would you dip your toe into an ale only league? Uh, so these people didn't know that if the guy gets traded to the NL, they lose the player. I'm sorry. I think you're kind of out of luck on that one. Consider that regulated, Matt, from Ottawa. Now, Heath especially liked this one. This is from Alex B. in NYC. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm just grooving right now. <laughs> I've been accused of collusion, and I think it's baseless. All right. it's I, I've been accused of collusion. And I think it is a wild, baseless, defamatory remark that would result in a duel if this were only Woo. 200 years ago. Woo-hoo. I'm in first place. My team is stacked. A few weeks ago, I needed to cut a player to make room for Jack Flaherty coming off my N.A. slot. I tried like hell to trade with everyone in the league to make room. I sent out dozens and dozens of offers. I was flat out told by more than one member of the league that they would not trade with me because they did not want to help my team. So, again, he needs to clear a spot to get Jack Flaherty uh, from his N.A. list, and nobody wanted to trade with him. Ultimately, I ran out of time and needed to lose a player. I determined that the player I wanted to lose was Tyler Skaggs, but I didn't want to cut him. I didn't want the managers I'm duking it out with to pick up Skaggs and use him against me. So, what did I do? I traded Skaggs to the last-place team for Matt Duffy, whom I promptly cut to make room for Flaherty. Since then, the eighth-place team in our 12-team league has accused me of collusion to my face, and repeatedly called me a cheater behind my back. I explained that I was simply making a roster move to create space on my team. Skaggs was a player on my team. I can do what uh, I can do what I please with him. The eighth place manager still to this day insists that I colluded and cheated. What say you, regulators? Who is in the wrong, and what justice would you recommend? Alex is a fantasy genius. It's a great move. This is how you. This is how you play the game. There's really? no collusion here. He's not trying to help. He's not like, ooh, I want to help out the eighth place team. No. The eighth place team is not like, oh, I want to help him out. No, he wants Tyler Skaggs. He traded, I, I he mean, traded I don't Skaggs think to the last, collusion. the last place team he traded him to. I, I don't think it's collusion. I don't know that that's the right word, but I am made a little uneasy by somebody who's making trades, um, not with the idea of improving their own roster. He was. He was, he was. He was making no, a trade not, not to improve Jack Flaherty. Not with improving his own roster. He wanted to not benefit somebody else's roster well uh, done alex i think it's fine and, and honestly i think that the player team should be able to make trades i actually would like to institute a rule in all leagues that once you're mathematically eliminated from the playoffs unless it's a keeper league you can no longer make trades but other than and I, nobody's disputing that the last place team is able to make a trade here i'm just saying uh, but i think it's interesting and i i always i often look at standings because when I make a trade, I don't want to help a team that I, I'd rather trade with a, with a bad team. Now, I think that part of it is a little bit of a loser mentality. Well, it's just a preference. It's not a, a sentence. No, I rule. think that, I think that makes sense. Like, in theory, all trade, trades should help both teams involved, right? Why would you want to help somebody you're competing with? Sure. That, that just seems like a competitive move. But 
Like I, I assume, um, who, who was it he traded for? Matt Duffy. I assume Matt Duffy was the worst player on this team's roster. So you're trading a player who you know everybody's going to be interested in picking up if you drop him for a team's worst player. That, like, just, just assessing that deal on face value, we would say, we would all say, I mean, in a league where there is veto, vetoable trades, I know we all don't want that, but that kind of seems like the kind of trade that would get vetoed, right? That's why there shouldn't be veto trades. I mean, it's a good point Scott makes, but it's almost like a salary dump in in another sport, you know? Very good point. Right? It's like you you give up the better player just to no, get rid of salary like and then it's call like up that. somebody else. Because the salary dump is made with the interest of improving your roster, giving Which is it more ex- flexibility. That's what he did. He needed to get flexible. No, he was up. he was trying to not. He was trying to make sure that the worst roster benefited in this league as opposed to a roster he's actually competing against. He was trying to make room for Jack Flaherty. He chose this, the wisest way to do so. He actively chose to make somebody else's roster better while making his own roster worse. He made his roster better. He added Jack Flaherty. Well, at least keeping his roster the same. It has been regulated. Two to one vote. <laughs> we are cool with this. Stop whining about it, eighth place team. You big whiny collusion the baby. The eighth place team is the team that benefited. They're not whining. It's the rest of the league. No, you, you're wrong about this, Heath. The last place team benefited. The eighth place oh, team is the one I see. whining I, about I it. I was wrong. You were right, Adam. Thank you. And now you have been regulated. <laughs> okay, we're done here. Thank you, everybody, for listening. I'm Adam. That's Scott. That's Heath. We'll talk to you tomorrow on Fantasy Baseball Today.